You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean. How's it going? David, I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm feeling better. I still have a little bit of a cough. Hopefully it doesn't show up on air too much. And uh, let's see, some things going on in my life I wanted to make sure I mentioned. I'm, I'm going to start running a mindfulness group. So that's a thing I'm doing through the Walled Garden every Saturday. It's a 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, talking about mindfulness and then this idea of stoic mindfulness. So if that's anything that uh, interests you, it's, it's open to the public. It's free. There'll be, there'll be a tip jar if you want to send me some money. But uh, otherwise, it's really just about this idea of what is mindfulness and how to practice it. So it's, it's not just meditation. I won't go into the, my whole spiel right now. Well, I am. I'm actually curious because, like, I, I like I know I went to therapy and we discuss like mindfulness pretty often. And when I was going through that on a week to week basis, I would meditate every day. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you don't mind, like, and like it was a very it was very beneficial for me. So, if you don't mind, can you explain maybe like in three sentences, like I'm five or like the listener is five, what is mindfulness? Yeah. The, the definition from a uh, John Cabot Zinn is that mindfulness is being present in the moment and non-judgmental. Okay. So if, if you are present in the moment and you're being non-judgmental, you're doing mindfulness. Uh, so it doesn't have to be meditation for some people. Meditation is tough. It, it is meditation also, but it can be other things. And uh, so I'm going to have three weeks where I'm talking about that. You know, one is on just this first idea of what is mindfulness in general, then a little bit about meditation, a little bit about alternatives that are not meditation. And that idea is, is very much a Buddhist philosophy idea of non-judgment in Stoic philosophy, it, most things are non-judgment except for virtue, that your choices are good or bad if you make the right choice or not. But then everything else is non-judgment under Stoic mm. philosophy, everything outside of your choice. Um, hopefully that answers a little, maybe a little more than... No, it does. And like I, I like that because I think most of us are spending our lives worrying about something that's like weeks or months or years away. But sometimes you don't want to let that ruin your actual life. So you just want to say like, Hey, I'm here outside enjoying a cup of coffee. Yeah. And I enjoy this because like, I get to hear the birds. I get to enjoy coffee and I want to, I want to enjoy savor this moment before I have to get into my work before I have to go to work or something like that. So I, like, I definitely, I can see the appeal of that. If that makes sense. But right. There's times you have to worry about the future, but then it's, it's also a necessary skill to be able to just be present and not worry about the future or the past. And so that's, that's what it's about. So yeah, it's a free group. And I, I hope it'll be interesting because the goal of mindfulness is not just that you take a class once and now you're mindful, but that you, you got to practice it every day. And so at least sure. I'm making myself practice it every Saturday morning when uh, people show up to my, my little meetup. Yeah, definitely. And I like I know I've discussed Odin in the in the previous episodes and we discuss Odin all the time, but like I think if Odin is spending his entire existence worrying about what's gonna happen at Ragnarok, like at what point does he just not enjoy anything because he knows that he's gonna die at Ragnarok? So maybe he should just right. like drink some mead and when or, you like live, drink some wine if it's Odin, but like it's interesting, right? Because when you're immortal, when you live forever maybe it's kind of hard to be present in the moment, right? That there is a certain uh, existential dread that comes from being a immortal God. I would say I think that shows yeah. up in other, uh, other fictions besides just North Norse mythology. Well, no, it's funny you say that. Cause like the show, uh, what we do in the shadows uh, deals with like a bunch of vampires who live forever yeah. unless yeah. they're killed. And like uh, in a couple of the episodes, they talk about the idea that like, they just get depressed because they live forever. And at some point, like they just don't have anything to enjoy because they've experienced everything. 
you know, speaking of uh, Locus Senna in last week's episode, right? There's only so many uh, drunken orgies you can have in, until it gets old. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, what? what's next? Oh, I can't enjoy that because yeah. I've already experienced something better. Anyway, like, yeah, I, yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's going to be interesting. Uh, like, I appreciate you bringing up, like, uh, you know, your other ventures, like the Walled Garden and your mindfulness group. But um, if we can maybe include a link in the, uh, the show notes or... Yeah, I'll put a link and put it on my uh, my Twitter. I think I might have retweeted it at our uh, uh, Between Two Ravens Twitter too. And should we say a little bit on the dis- the uh, the December fireside chat? And I'm sure we'll, we'll plan more. We haven't fully planned it out, but it's going to be good. I'm sure. <laughs> I, I feel like you've done most of the work there. The only thing is that that I've done is say that I want to put like a I don't know a trash bag or like a piece of cloth over my head to make it seem like it's a hood, and then have a fake mustache, and then I can do my stupid voice. Yeah, the Sean's, Sean's going to do some acting, I think, for everybody. That oh, basically, yeah. the, the plan is whatever I can get Sean to agree to is the fireside chat. But uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, Sean, what are we? What's our topic for this week? Awesome. So we're going to actually wrap up our, our series on Locusana, our three part uh, series of episodes on the poem from the Poetic Edda. So last week we discussed stanzas twenty nine through forty six of Locusana where Loki drunkenly continued insulting the gods one by one, crashing Aegir's feast. Adding the Vanir father-slash-offspring trio of Njorth, Frey, and Freya to his list of insults, accusing them all of incest, something weirdly that they didn't deny, Njorth, the father of or Freya and Frey, actually pretty much saying it doesn't matter. Loki also attacks Tyr, about how his son Fenrir bit off his hand and then calls one of the servants Big Veer Craven. Needless to say, like last week, tensions are running high and Loki is still not done calling the gods out on their bullshit and hypocrisy. We wanted to adequately dive into the depth and the beautiful poetry Loki uses to call them out, right? Because you go through these quickly, but uh, I really, this is one of my favorite poems. I'm trying to think what's my next favorite. Havamal is way up there. Probably that might be my favorite, actually. But then, uh, and then Harbard's Liad, that's just about as funny as this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which I am actually going to mention this episode. I, I would have put, I would put Locusena, Havamal, and then uh, Vodlespa. But Harbard's Liad, I also like. So, anyway, this week we're discussing stanzas 47 through 65 and the prose ending briefly. So, last week we left off with Loki challenging Big Veer's supposed bravery. Big Veer being one of the servants, which David mentioned is actually the personification of barley, I want to say. Right, David? That's uh, that's, Larrington, that's what Larrington says, so I believe her. Yeah. Awesome. Yes, I believe her too. So that, then at this point, Hemdall, the watchman of the gods, decides to interject. He calls Loki drunk and says that he has lost control of himself. He then calls Loki a coward as he will be hiding in the straw when the battle starts. And he's speaking about the Battle of Ragnarok. One of the things that just stood out to me is that, that Heimdall, you know, bringing in the Havamal virtue of don't get too drunk and lose control of yourself, right? That's a, that's a shameful thing to do, especially the way, the, the way they worded it. Uh, I enjoyed one version says, for too much drinking affects every man and he doesn't notice his talkativeness. But then in the other version, I think gets more at the, how it's actually worded in the uh, Old Norse. It says, drunk art thou, Loki, and mad are thy deeds. Why, Loki, leavest thou this not? For drink beyond measure will lead all men, no thought of their tongues to take. So that Loki is not thinking of his tongue. 
what his tongue is getting him into, or yeah, the, the problems it's causing him, something like that. Well, yeah, I mean, I think this entire poem is him going against Odin's wisdom and Havamal of not getting too drunk because you're going to say something stupid, right? Yeah. That he's this foil. That's one of the terms from uh, English class, right? He's this parallel to Odin so often. And then I made sure to look up that it is. So it's the Poetic Edda by Henry Adams Bellows from 1936. That's the one that sounds very archaic and old in style. Is that the one yeah. from volaspa.com? Yeah, exactly. Oh, perfect. So anyway, after Hemdal interjects, Loki then states that Hemdal was given a terrible fate in the old days as the watchman of the gods, as he needs to forever stand and watch. Oh yeah, go ahead, I'm sorry. You mentioned before that that was his punishment, right? Uh, is there anywhere else that says that Heimdall does that as a punishment? I, I don't believe so. Yeah, um, I think it's something that like he's always been doing, unless like the Norns like gave him that fate. But I could be wrong. And then the way Loki insults him, saying that you know he's he has to stand watch is a mucky back you must always have and watch as guard of the gods. So what, why does he have a mucky back? <laughs> so I'm looking at Larrington's footnotes so that maybe. It has to do with him guarding the world tree, the way the Norns, they paint on this paint to keep Nidhogg from gnawing the roots. Maybe that gets on his back and leaves him uh, mucky. And uh, David, I think you're, you're like, based on your face, you're just reading my notes that I just added before we did this. Um, I made a note about how we always come back to the fucking paint. Um, and then I made a quote joke. Welcome to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David, where everyone is somehow actually Odin. Honir is Hodor from Game of Thrones, and the Norns' paint is the world's biggest mystery. Everyone is both Odin and Loki at the same time, uh, tricking you in in disguise. Yeah, And uh, actually, I sent a tweet out there. I saw some random tweet that was like, hey, podcasters, what's the one thing to make sure you never do wrong on a podcast? And I'm like, constantly (laughs) conflate Honir and Hodor. (laughs) Exactly. Well, you you always say Honor is Hod, because like a lot of times they add an R at the end of Hod, or like a D, which would be Hodor, but I don't know. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> anyway, it's not moving forward. So one thing I wanted to make a note here of is that Loki and Hemdall fight at Ragnarok. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it, but they do have a, uh, a confrontation, and we're going to discuss that in a later episode on our series in Ragnarok. And the reason why I, the reason that I wanted to mention that now is because Hemdall is attacking Loki's, um, I guess, bravery in battle. And like we'll see what happens when Loki actually does become brave in battle. So anyway, Skadi then steps in. Keep in mind, Skadi is Njorth's new wife. Njorth being the god that the Vanir god that Loki attacked earlier for incest. Njorth produced Frey and Freya with an unnamed sister, and since then he has married Skadi. Skadi states that he is having his fun now, as in Loki. But soon the gods will imprison him and cut out the guts of his son to tie him up. And I, and I like Skadi. She's quite a graphic that uh, it says, Loki, you won't long play with your tail wagging free. For on a rock edge with your ice cold son's guts, the gods shall bind you. I'm like, that is some strong poetic language. And it's and very specific. Other, yeah. Oh yeah. And the other, I just love the way they word it. Different uh, versions on the rocks. The gods bind thee. With bowels torn, forth from thy frost cold sun. Yeah, Skitty's a badass. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like I mean, it seems like everybody there knows about what's going to happen at Ragnarok, but um, it seems like Skitty in this instance, in in this instance, also knows the fate of men. 
I think it goes back to the way she describes it so vividly. It's like she's seeing it as she's describing it, right? Like, I don't, I don't think that's just a threat. I think it's, uh, yeah, seems uh, prophetic. Yeah. And I know in previous weeks, uh, when we discussed in parts one and part two of Locusena, Gefhune and then Frigg, um, or uh, Frigg then Gefhune, they, they also were claimed to have known the fates of men. But it seems like in this case, Skadi is also doing the same thing. And also, I wanted to just make a note here that remember that Skadi who just came to attack Loki, only married Njorth, who Loki just attacked, because he had the prettiest feet. And she thought they would have been Baldur's feet. So she chose her groom based on the looks of their feet, which we discussed in a previous episode. Baldur was also the one that Loki ended up killing. Or like, Loki orchestrated Baldur's death. And then maybe, yeah... Balder would have been a little more of a true love for her that uh, that Njorth is, you know, they say it's very much an unhappy marriage. One prefers the sea, one prefers the mountains, but also at Njorth, his true love is probably his sister. So, Yeah, no, exactly. Like, Njorth, uh, yeah. Njorth obviously loved his his sister, uh, produced Freya and Freya, and then <laughs> because of a because of an heir on Skadi's part, they had to marry. But yeah, it's just, it's just very funny to think about how Skadi wanted to marry Balder, Boulder is not there because of Loki. So Skadi has like many different reasons and angles to want to attack Loki at this point. But Loki then pretty much says that he understands his and his son's fates. So he understands what Skadi said is accurate. And then he says that he was the first and last on the battlefield when the gods fought and killed her father, Thiazi. So I wanted to make a note here because... Loki and Thiazi were the ones that orchestrated the capture of Edun, which we also discussed in previous episodes. Thor is the one that claims to have killed Thiazi in Harbard's Laud, which I think I mentioned earlier, David. And in the Proseta version, an unnamed god is the one that kills him. Um, but right here, Loki says that he was present when the gods killed her father, Thiazi. Yeah, and I'm trying to just think who that unnamed god could be. But it's where Loki, Loki's not really trying to claim that he killed him, but just, uh, I was there. I was I was the greatest on the battlefield. I was the first, in, I mean, that you were the first and the last on the battlefield isn't the greatest, but um, <laughs> uh, courage, courage, something like that. Yeah, he didn't run so, off early. Yeah, exactly. So keep in mind, Thiazi died, I think, because he, like, he was like an eagle or something. Then he crashed over the walls of Asgard. And when he crashed, the, Asgard, the Asgardians were all there, and then they killed him. So I'm pretty sure in the pro set of version, it just said like he was killed by the Aesir or something like the, that, or an unnamed the way I did god. That was that they all kind of killed him at once, yeah. And whether whether or not Thor had the the killing blow that crushes the giant skull, or just uh, they all tore him apart, yeah, that seemed. So then Skadi acknowledges Loki's deeds on the battlefield, but then claims that he will never be welcome to any place where she was in power. So I wanted to say really quick that note that we do know that she inherited Thrymheim after her father, Thiazi, died. So it's a bit of her saying, yeah, like he, that Loki will be unwelcome, you know, both in Asgard, but also in parts of Jotunheim, right? I think that's uh, maybe why that's more significant. And just as I was reading it, you know, at first it, I don't know where it shifted for me, but anyway, so the, the one, this is Larrington's version is, uh, from my sanctuaries and meadows, cold counsel shall always come to you. The one thing that at first is, you know, sort of like she'll, she's ordering everyone who, you know, is subject under her to also be cold to Loki. But then as I read the old version, so the older one is, from my dwellings and fields shall ever come forth a cold counsel for thee. 
and and that makes me think it's a little more that she's make, making it personal, right? It's like kind of from my home, you will never get any warm feelings, right? It's like that really she will always be cold towards him going forward. I, I don't know why I read it subtly different, those two different ways, but just that, uh, is it impersonal or is it very personal, right? She, she sort of says it in this cold, distant way, but, uh, you know, that from my dwelling, right, from my home, there will always be cold counsel, I think, is uh, her heart is cold to him, one way to say that. And since Thrymheim is in the mountains, it also could just be physically cold. <laughs> yes. Uh, and there's a, and, and that's the theme I was kind of just noticing here. And it comes back up that right. Loki, or if you say Logi, the God of fire, and he's bringing death and destruction by fire, right? The way they said it was uh, that Loki will come with Muspel's sons over Mirkwood. And they keep talking about punishing him with cold, right? His son's cold guts, uh, you know, the cold, yeah, the, you won't be welcome in the cold mountains, right? something there about. And then that a lot of actually these gods descend from the frost giants, I think, right? As we're bringing up, I think Thiazzi probably a frost giant. Um, yeah, Thiazzi is a giant, yeah. Is he a frost giant? I, I think it's the same thing. I think it might just be like a separate tribe of giants. I could be yeah. wrong. Like, I know that's not something that we've um, explored too much in this podcast, like what type of giants are which, but I do know that we have heard of the frost giants, we've heard of the fire giants, and we know like uh, Surtur is you know, in Muspelheim. So he's probably a fire giant, but it's, there's it's definitely like fire kind of all giants in Muspel. And then if there's non frost giants in Jotunheim too, besides summer frost giants, I think it's too confusing for anyone to know, but uh, that's yeah. my whole thought on just this hot and cold dynamic. They keep bringing up right with Loki, Loki being hot and they're going to chill him. Something like that. <laughs> this is, this is you like talking about how every God is the personification of something. So if Loki is the God of fire, then just being cold toward him, hurts him so maybe gonna, that's why gonna, skatey said it they're gonna put him on ice yeah they're gonna <laughs> <laughs> exactly so anyway this is when loki comes back at skatey and then says that her tone has changed as previously she begs loki to join her in bed that she that she wanted somebody to keep her bed warm that's where I'm, i play on words yeah. <laughs> says and then the, the the phrasing of it was uh more lightly thou spoke with laufey's son when thou badest me come to thy bed, such things must be known if now we too shall seek our sins to tell. So Larrington makes a point to note that there's no support of this, that uh, this Skadi ever slept with Loki. But I feel like it feels kind of true that Loki's like, if we're both going to admit our sins. Yeah, it's it's funny because in this poem, like Loki accuses every goddess of being very promiscuous. And I know we've discussed this in previous episodes, but like, Loki has also been described, and I'm pretty sure this was uh, by Snorri, to uh, to be a very beautiful god. So, right. Right. you know, if like there's all these like gods and goddesses that they're always just giving into their inhibitions, like if they don't have any free will, which I know we also discussed, like mortals having free will, but dying one day, the gods not having free will. You know, I'm wondering, like, at what point the gods just like say, "Hey, let's fuck each other," you know, <laughs> like, well, and you know, maybe. maybe that- you know, as, as he's calling them all horrors, but I mean, for somebody's trying to say that they sleep around, like we know with Freya, she slept with a bunch of dwarves and a lot of other situations, but that was some of them. Maybe it's actually just that he tricked them into sleeping with him. That seems to come up multiple times too. And then he uses it against them, right? So Yeah. And I, I think it's like also to Loki, just um, like he, he obviously is drunk and he's out of line. Um, he wants to insult the gods and the goddesses, but he's also calling them out on their hypocrisy. So he's like saying... Well, Skitty, you seem to be this like you. You try to cut, play off yourself as this like noble person, but then you opened your bed to me, type of thing. But 
you, you weren't so cold to me when I came to your bed last time. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, then Sif, another goddess, this is going to go well. Thor's wife steps in and offers Loki a drink to calm him down and asks that he not continue his insults by insulting her. And, and poor Sif, but my first thing my mind says is like, when does that ever help? Give the drunk guy another drink. That'll, that'll calm him down. But uh, in any case, it says, take the goblet of ancient mead. You should rather admit of all the Aesir's children that Sif alone is blameless. And it's like, here, Loki, have a drink. And yes, you're upset with everyone, but surely I am the <laughs> the most, you know, kindest and the most yeah, the serene of all goddesses, right? Or it could be a bribe. If it's true, it, it could be a bribe. And, or like, what if what we're about to say is true, it could be a bribe and saying, hey, have a drink, just shut the fuck up. Don't say what you're about to say about me. I'm still expecting him to be decent. And it's like, no, I'm sorry, Sif. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Loki chugs the drink, obviously. Then he declines her suggestion and, and insults her by stating that she has never been unwelcome to other men and that she has slept with him previously and is unfaithful to Thor. Where we, I think we all, we all saw where that was going. But The, the uh, Larrington's version, I know one, a lover besides Thor, and that was the malevolent Loki. Or in the uh, older version, I kind of like this one better actually sometimes, that um, I know one who had thee from Holorthy's arms. Loki, the crafty and lies. So that that's, I think, closer to the old Norse. But um, part of me feels like Loki's exaggerating, right? Like Loki's saying, okay, yeah, you, you know, Loki, you're telling everybody their horrors. You're telling everybody they've slept with you, you know? And I'm like, and really Sif of all of them, I like Sif the most out of, I don't know why, if it's because she's Thor's wife or what, but I'm like, I don't believe that Sif cheats on Thor, right? That's, this is going too far. I can believe it about Freya, whatever you want to say about her. Uh, she's, she's the goddess of lust and passion. So I'm sure that. <laughs> I included my notes here, um, and I said it does seem to be that Thor seems to be in the east often fighting giants, and like even that one time where he tried to come home, the ferryman, which was Odin, would not let him cross the river. So Sif may be lonely. I don't know, but yeah. anyway, so I'm sorry. From, uh, from Harbard's Liad, I found the quote. It was um, so this is Harbard, who we believe to be Odin, but it kind of feels a little like Loki too, right? Said said to Thor when he had trouble crossing the river. Sif has a lover at home, and him shouldst thou meet, more fitting it were, on him to put forth thy strength. So oh, that's that, right. You know, you know, hey, Thor, you said you're going to smash me in the head with a hammer. Sif's got a lover at home. You should maybe uh, talk to him, which would be wonderful if it was Loki telling him that in person, talking about <laughs> himself yeah. being back at home with Sif. Well, I'm saying, like, what Lo- what Odin did to Thor in Harbard's Lot is, like, yeah. very much Loki. And. Yeah. It would make very much sense if, like, Loki just said, "Hey, I'm going to act like our, um, you know, Thor's father," and just tell him the fuck off, kind of thing. And that, that, like, he brought up that if if that's true, he brought up this like little note about Sif being unfaithful to him, unfaithful to him. So, and then there's and, and Larrington has another thought. So, so Larrington, yeah, as much as I'm like optimistic about Sif, uh, Larrington is not at all. She says, even though it's not confirmed, right? Of course, Harbard's Liad suggests it. And then the other question is. How did Loki get close enough to shave Sif's head? That's a little curious, right? Why, why, of all the things and all the people, right? Why is Loki shaving Sif's hair? I mean, other than to piss off Thor, right? But, but this is the kind of prank you would expect if you slept with a trickster god, right? That you wake up in the morning and you don't have any hair, right? I'm getting convinced slowly. I think that. Well, Loki's- no, I like that a lot, actually. Oh, like sure. maybe, yeah. maybe the reason why Loki was able to cut off Sif's hair is because they were together the night before. That, that, that Loki is really a piece of shit. 
yeah, they so they all are as we, as we as we talked about they all are so yeah, but this is really coming together for me so i'm like sorry Seth, i don't i don't believe you so anyway moving on this is where somebody named bela then speaks up and then she notes that the mountains seem to be trembling which means that that the mighty thor himself must have just arrived in asgard keep in mind as i mentioned earlier thor has not been here yet or she then somebody states, spoke my name. Yes, exactly. I, I've been summoned. There's a lot of drinks and somebody s- spoke my name. She states that Thor will get Loki to shut the fuck up. I looked into this and like it actually mentions it in the... Uh, you'll see this in the next stanza anyway. Bela is the wife of Bigvir, who we discussed in part two. The servant who was the god of barley, who we also mentioned earlier in this episode. He spoke up to Loki in part two. I oh, yeah, said, so, yeah, according to Google, I'm looking, you know, I'm not digging into the sources too much, but just looking at Google, that Bela is the Norse goddess of bees and manure. And this is all going to make a lot of sense in a moment, but that she's a good wife to barley, right? You need good manure in your fields and you need the bees to fertilize uh, your crops. So, well, I was going like if he's barley and like barley has something to do with beer, right? That, that's the main grain you use for beer. Yeah, you can put a yes. little bit of wheat in there, but mostly. Uh, but not mead, right? So, like, I didn't know if there was a connection between the bees, honey, and the barley, right? It's, yeah, I think it's more just the bees with fertilizing the crops, but then, yeah, that the bees are for the, the mead and the barley oh. for the beer and the ale. Gotcha. So, it would be a good pairing to have at a party, like Aegir's Feast. Right, except for the manure part, and that's going to become more <laughs> yeah. at the moment. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I guess except for the manure, but I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, Loki tells Bela to shut up and calls her a beast. And nothing more than a milkmaid. And so this is where it's always so interesting the way um, Jackson Crawford translates things compared to some of these old versions. He says the translation is that she's a beast, nothing more than a milkmaid. But this translation I I, I really like and I think I agree with. It says, um, a great shame to the gods never came nearer to them. Befouled thou art with thy filth, which would be the manure, right? So is she a filthy animal or it's no, she's the goddess of manure, right? And uh, the Larrington always gets a little more kind of literal. Uh, no worse disgrace came among the Aesir's children. You dung spattered dairy maid. <laughs> so yeah, it's not uh, not just that she spends too much time around the, the beasts. She is the goddess of manure. So it's, you know. Awesome. Yeah. If it's not a dung spattered dairy maid, it's a piss pot or something <laughs> like that. But anyway, then comes the mighty Thor into Aegeus Hall. So weirdly, Thor seems to know exactly what's been going on despite him not being present. So I'm wondering if this happens often. He has incredible hearing. And as soon as he hears somebody bad oh, about he's like, he flies off with his hammer. Yeah. Gotcha. That's a, that, I think that's some of the uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, improv that you're showing right now, David. <laughs> how, how could it not be that way, right? Yeah. There's, yes, he, he the, heard the, what was the, going on. Bela's sorry, like, Ed. the mountains are already shaking, Loki. The more you talk, the, the more Thor's uh, ears get waggling. And uh, he comes flying across from Jotunheim. Exactly. So then Thor comes in, and then he states that he's going to use Mjolnir, his hammer, to silence Loki. And then throw him into Jotunheim, where nobody will ever find him again. And so there's this, this line that Thor uses over and over. Uh, the, so I'll do it. The, the simplest way to say it is, be silent, you perverse creature. My mighty hammer, Mjolnir, shall deprive you of speech. Which is interesting as I try to make sense of the Old Norse. So it's Thegi Thu, which translated to an Icelandic. That's the word in Old Norse. But when you 
put it into Google Translate, it comes up with that's just modern Icelandic for shut up. So thank you, Thu. Shut up. Rog Vatir. You wet rag, apparently. Fair skull min through the hammer. You shall my mighty hammer, basically. You have to kind of connect it to the next line, which is then harder to translate. But essentially it's that um, it will end you or it will close your mouth. So shut up or my hammer will shut you up, basically, is the way to yeah. translate that. Yeah. And the, the wet rag probably is meant to be another, uh, you're perverse, you're unmanly, uh, something like that. Awesome. So moving on, Loki then recalls how scared Thor was when he found himself hiding in a giant's glove. So I wanted to make a note here. Thor did hide in a giant's glove when we discussed our episode on Thor's adventure to Utgard where he took shelter one night in a barn or something like that. And the barn ended up being Skrymir's slash Utgarda Loki's glove. Also note, I wanted to make a note that Loki was in the glove as well. So it's funny that he's insulting Thor for this. But but it's a, a repeated insult. This thing comes up in so many places, right? I think Harbard's Liad is the other one. And it's a strange insult, but that, that Thor was, you know, shaking in fear when he was in the glove of the giant, right? Which you can say a little bit to be like that he was a little man, right? Because... You know, you're in somebody's glove and you're, you're hiding from them in their own glove, something like that, right? Yeah. There, there's a deeper thing, connection I can make. Do you think is now a fine time to, uh, for me to go on a long tangent interpretation thing? Um, it's our podcast. Go ahead. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have too many at the end, so I'll, I'll put it here. As I've been trying to make sense of what this is all about, right? What is this glove all about? Because that was really where we were doing a hero's journey, right? That's Thor doing the hero's journey story. I think the one with Utgarda Loki is very similar in some ways to the one with um, Fiazi. And that's that there's several of these hero stories and there's, there's clearly a, a big, powerful giant right involved and that they're, you know, they're not the same stories, but I think they're clearly written kind of as parallels to each other. Something about what is this Thor hiding in a glove? What does any of that mean? But, and that they're constantly using that as kind of an example of his unmanliness, right? Similar to him losing his hammer, having to wear a wedding dress, right? Things like that. So there's the story of Percival and the Holy Grail. And there, it's on my mind this week, actually, because Simon Drew sent me a link to this video. And he was like, here's a really great video on some mythology stuff. And I'm like, oh, this yeah. is my favorite Jungian analyst, uh, Robert Johnson, talking about his book, He, which I previously read on the myth of uh, Percival, basically as a metaphor for the life of a man, this hero's journey. It's Percival and the Fisher King. And the very short version of the myth is that Percival leaves home and he comes to a castle one day. And the king in there is a wounded king. He has a, an arrow. It's either shot through his leg or shot through his testicles. It depends on the version you read. <laughs> and so the, the king can't walk around. He's got an arrow stuck in his leg or um, groin. But he sits and he fishes all day. And that's when he feels better. But otherwise, he's just this king with a wound. Percival's mother taught him, when you meet royalty or you meet knights, don't ask too many questions. Kind of like the Havamal, right? Don't speak mm-hmm. too much. Or what's the modern way to say it? Um, it's better to be thought a fool than to speak up and remove all doubt, right? Yes. But that's a thing his mom teaches him, like, Percival, don't talk too much or they'll find out you're stupid. Kind of like, is that Honir? When, when, when Honir goes to the Vanir, right, isn't it that he, he won't speak much? He's like, well, whatever people think is best. Ah, whatever people think is best, right? It's like yes. somebody told him, don't talk too much, right? Um, exactly. So there's, there's this thing, this theme you see, right? So Percival's mother tells him, don't talk too much. So he meets the king and the king says... I have one question for you. You know, who does the Holy Grail serve or something like that? And Percival won't answer. And the, the thing that you're supposed to know is that there's some background of the story is that 
the Fisher King will be healed and freed when somebody can answer that question. Or even just when somebody like asks the question in the right way. But Percival's mom told him, don't ask too many questions. So Percival just sits there like a dummy. Then the castle disappears and he's gone. And it's like 20 years later, does he find the Grail Castle again? But by the time he finds it again, he's become a real knight. And one of the sure. things he had to do was take off this shirt that his mom made for him. His mom made him a shirt, you know, and he left home and he wanted to kind of remember his mom. So he just never takes the shirt off. He's got this probably stinking uh, half worn out shirt under his knight armor. But for him to become a real knight, he has to take off the shirt his mom gave him. And then basically he comes back to the Grail Castle and he's able to ask the question properly and learns that the, the Holy Grail serves not the Fisher King, but the Grail King. It doesn't serve mm. you. It serves something higher. It serves God, basically. So sure. it's, you know, if you find the Holy Grail, you're not supposed to use it for your own reasons. You're supposed to use it to serve the greater good. The lesson a man needs to learn. That's the whole point of the story. There's this little piece in the middle that is, you know, this thing about the shirt. And why am I connecting somehow the shirt with the glove? And, and I'm not quite sure how to explain the connection other than that it's all a metaphor for circumcision. That circumcision rituals are how you become a man. That Thor is in the glove that he's not circumcised. He's not a man yet. He's not gotten through puberty, another way to say it. He's wearing his mother's shirt, something like that. It's a very strange connection. Again, yeah. again this is. Uh, I feel like that's a reach, but it is our podcast, so we can say whatever we want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it, it goes back to the things I've talked about before of the, uh, the, the phallus sacrifice, right? A partial sacrifice, right? And yeah. again, Thor losing his hammer, hiding in the glove. You look, you look at it the right way, you squint, and you can kind of see it all come together. But um, Yeah, I mean, there, there's got to be some like uh, symbolism with the glove. Like Thor at the time, I think, thought he was sleeping in a barn. Loki's making yeah. fun of him for it now, but Loki was there too. But I don't know. Yeah. It's I, it, like, that, I guess I could see where it comes from. But. Right, that, that it sounds like I'm crazy as I'm connecting the story together, but, that, but why else do they keep bringing up the glove? What else is this glove supposed to recognize, right? Except I'm saying that Thor is not, was not yet quite a man at that time. I think another way they say it sometimes is you, you didn't look much like Thor then. Yeah. Scrymere's glove was Thor's bat bar- misfa. <laughs> That's exactly awesome. it. Um, so anyway, keep in mind, Thor has threatened Loki once. Thor again threatens Loki with Mjolnir and says that he will break every bone in his body. Loki then recalls Thor's unsuccessful attempt to open Utgard Loki slash Scrymere's food bag which, as we, as I mentioned, we discussed in a previous episode, it states that he would probably also fail in killing him with Mjolnir if that event was any indication. And I was looking at, you know, why is that such a good insult? But uh, just the part of the way it was worded is, you couldn't get at the food and you starved, unharmed, but hungry. So it's like, you weren't battling anything except your hunger once again, Thor. Uh, that's, that's a good singer. Yeah, so what, can, what the fuck can you do to me with your hammer? with these threats. So anyway, Thor a third time then threatens Loki with Mjolnir and says that he will send Loki beyond the gates of hell. Keep in mind, hell being his daughter, hell's realm in Niflheim. Loki then stops. He acknowledges at this point that all out of all the gods and goddesses, the only one that he believes will actually follow up on their threats is Thor. Thus, the insults end, and Loki stops. So I'm not really sure why it took three threats from Thor, as opposed to one, to stop Loki. But maybe maybe Loki really didn't want to go hang out with his daughter in Niflheim. I'm thinking maybe it's like a, a rule that uh, if, if Thor threatens you three times, he has to follow through on it or something. You know, the other gods were like, 
Loki, if I get a chance, I'm going to cut your head off. And Loki's like, yeah, sure, whatever. But it's also really funny in the way they do it in the poem. It's a call and response because every time Loki says, you know, he's talking trash to Thor and Thor says, be silent, perverse creature. My mighty hammer will deprive you of speech. And then Loki talks more trash and he goes, be silent, pervert. My mighty hammer will deprive you of speech. And he says it, th- he says it three times. And then I think Loki's like, oh, yeah, uh, if he keeps saying it, eventually it's going to come true. Well, it's it's funny because like in in, t- in today's modern world, we have like a, a society that follows rules, and there's like a lot of rules that we just like ultimately decide not to follow. Like most of us follow a, a stoplight rule, yeah. but we also don't follow the speed limit rule. So yeah. it's almost like the etiquette of our world to like <laughs> to like speed, but then say anybody that doesn't like stop fully at a stoplight is an asshole. Or like stop at a stop sign is an asshole. But like I feel like in the etiquette of the Norse world, if you insult somebody three times, that's when you're like, oh shit, this person yeah. needs business and it's Thor. That Thor's honor will demand, right? That if he makes that threat so many times, he'll have to follow through it, right? The other gods aren't all about being a hero and courage and honor and some of these things. So they're like, one time being like, I'm going to stab you with my sword, Loki. And he's like, yeah, whatever, dude, right? But Thor keeps saying it and he keeps saying it. And it's like, you know, if I don't do it now on the fourth time, Odin's going to call me a coward again. <laughs> yeah, it's like if they say it three times, they mean it. But two and one time, it's fine. Yeah, I think so. That's that's the uh, the theme we have learned. So then at this point, Loki then, after deciding to stop insulting the gods, announces his departure from Aegir's Hall to Aegir. So this is more of a threat to everybody in the room. He states that this feast will be the last that Aegir is going to host as his entire world is going to burn. And this is like a threat to the entire realm of all the gods and goddesses, like all the Aesir, meaning Ragnarok is probably nigh. And I like the, the wording of it always gives you a little bit more to read into. So I said that, uh, that ale you brewed Aegir, and you'll never again prepare a feast. All your possessions that are here inside may flame play over them and your back be burnt. I thought that was very specific. Why he wants to burn his back. Yeah, why is it that his back will be burnt? It just makes me think of this image of like carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders or like, you know, the uh, yeah, his Atlas, I think, holding the earth up, right? And we know there's these four dwarves that hold up the four corners, uh, the dwarves named North, South, East, West, right? You know, because he's not actually saying here that he's going to burn their whole world. He says he's going to burn his hall and all the possessions that are inside. Which, and, yeah, and at this point, all the gods and goddesses are inside. And it's a weird thing to say that the gods and goddesses might be his possessions, Right? That, I mean, that's not what it's literally saying. You know, it's not necessarily saying that, but maybe it's saying that, right? Aegir, you know, all of your precious possessions inside this hall will be burned. This idea that maybe Aegir actually is very important. I don't, I don't know if I'm stretching here, right? But I mean, Aegir clearly is important, right? We're always showing up at a party at Aegir's place. So I don't know if it's actually important, like for the meaning behind the Norse mythology, or just that I, I like the metaphor because it connects me to a a Stoic metaphor they use, which is the feast of life, right? So Aegir hosts these feasts for the gods. The Stoic metaphor of the feast of life is just what's happening right now in the present moment, right? Back to mindfulness. Yeah. It's a feast that's happening. And there's a thing that's passed to you and you enjoy it while it's there. You take a scoop and then you pass it on. You don't sit there waiting for it to come. You don't keep looking for, oh, I wish I could have gotten more of that. But now, you know, uh, Braggy's getting served some and I wish I could get served more, right? Just... You take the thing you're served, you enjoy it for a moment, and you pass it on. And that's the feast of life, basically. The, the right attitude to have is take what's there for you. You know, If it goes around the table and it comes back and there's none, that's fine. You know, I got my portion when it was here. Mm-hmm. That That's the way it goes. That's the way fate goes. 
it's probably actually just where I take it. I don't think the poem means anything about that, but well, I mean, it, it probably doesn't, but at the same time, it, it's very, it's, it, it kind of is there. Cause like, let's say this is the last feast before Ragnarok. The gods could be sitting at this feast and being upset at what Loki said. And there's like, Oh shit, this is the last one. Like we need to do something about this. Whereas that's what they should do. But at the same time, like maybe they should say, well, let's take what we can and enjoy this feast type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it, like, I think that's like the paradox of life where like, you know, like you always have something to worry about um, and you need to like naturally do that. You need to worry. You, you don't want to spend like $10,000 today just to enjoy today when you are going to be fucked over tomorrow. But at the same time, you don't want to like be very frugal and not enjoy life today because if you keep doing that forever you're gonna not enjoy life you can't just always live for tomorrow right like i'm just i'm just working but you know one one of these years i'm gonna take a nice vacation and travel to europe right and it's but if you never actually do it right it's like gotta do it sometimes yeah yeah so i kind of i kind of like that's and again like the like living in the present is presence is why i like love norse mythologies because the gods for the most part are fated to die and just like we as humans are also fated to die. And there's got to be this like balance in how you live your life. Yeah. Um, and there's like a balance in nature. There's a balance like everywhere. And I think just like living your life with balance and like, you know, moderation is the way to go about it as opposed to like going to one extreme or the other. Like I'm going to spend $10,000 today. No, I can't do that. I'm going to not spend anything forever. So like, I don't know. There's like with the gods in that room in Locusena, I feel like, they're in this like weird space where they, they know the end is near because they all know about Ragnarok and Loki just reminded them of that. But like if they spent like the last five or 5,000 years worrying about Ragnarok, at this point, are they worried more about the fact that they're about to die or are they worried about the fact that they spent the last 5,000 years worrying about their death type of thing? I don't know. No, and it's, and mostly is that where you're going with for, this? Or? The reason I look for more depth in it is because that's where the poem ends, right? It's like, you know, Loki has all these great insults for everybody. And then he's like, an Aegir, I'm going to burn your hall down. And it's like, this seems like kind of an anticlimactic ending, right? But if he really means it as, I'm going to, you know, destroy this feast you call life, right? That that's, ah, okay, that's more of a, a statement, right? That it just ends with, I'm going to burn down your hall and your back will be burnt. Scene, right? Like that's, his back's going to be burnt, right? But that somehow that Aegir is kind of like the god holding all this up, right? That maybe he's like a titan kind of, right? Um, yeah, going back to like the earth was made out of some of their, uh, the pieces of, uh, which one of the Titans that they chopped him into pieces and put his brains in the clouds. I can't Ymir. Ymir. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. If Ymir, is the, yeah. Yeah. Their names are kind of similar. So they, some type of, maybe Aegir is a Titan, right? I don't think he's a Titan, but he like Aegir is the party God based on like what I would have to say about it. But he's also the God that, um, features in Scott Scabbermall. He's the one that's like. <laughs> The personification of learning about the Norse gods and Scott Scoppermall. Right. It was, it was him and the poet, right, talking back Braggy. and forth and Braggy talking back and forth. Yeah. But there was something in there that kind of said, like, that Aegir is maybe not exactly in Asgard, that he's like a sea god or he has, you know, this cool hall out on the coast where you get to, you know, go out, go out to the beach and uh, check out the views while you go to the party. So I, that's where I think of him being a little bit of, we don't know much else about him. So there's probably sure. something. But at the same time, like if he's like the, let's say like hypothetically, he's the God of this party because it's his house or he's the king of this party because it's his house. The gods like that were present just got told that like Loki's going to fuck shit up. He's going to burn everything to the ground 
like you have to imagine like the impact that 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 has on everybody there. Oh yeah, um, there's some serious uh, serious foreshadowing when they know, and most of them know the future, right? So he's kind yeah. Of- Playing his but part. anyway, so we're we're gonna get to that. Uh, obviously, yeah. like we have a couple episodes left, and then uh, we're gonna be discussing what happens at Ragnarok, which Loki is threatening them with at this point. So we're gonna get to that soon. But anyway, to wrap up the poem, it, you get into this like prose ending, so this like epilogue. Loki then leaves the party and then hides from the wrath of the gods because at this point they're so pissed off at him that they go after him. He goes into a cave called Franangur. He disguises himself as a salmon, but the gods end up catching him. And so, David, we're, I'm thinking that since we're going to be discussing the Gilfogany version of Loki's capture and Loki's torture in future weeks, I think that we may end it here. I'm not sure what, yeah, that, do, what your thoughts are. Do one episode that are on both parts of this, this Loki's capture that uh, we definitely set up the, you know, as thoroughly as we can. Why are the gods pissed off at Loki, right? What And why, why Loki's first, why Loki's pissed off at them. Right. And then why they're pissed off at Loki. Yeah. And uh, yeah, to get both, both versions in, in one episode, I think of uh, his, his capture. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, that's Locusena. Um It's, I thought I, I love this poem a lot because like, I know you mentioned this earlier, David, but it brings in most of the gods and goddesses that we've discussed on this, on this podcast. But he like Loki also brings up things that happened in previous episodes that tie in like both the prosetta and the poetic etta. And like I do think that this is like Loki's last stand almost. Like I know we discuss Loki's capture in a the next episode, but Loki's last stand is him like telling the gods that they are fucking hypocrites and they act like they're better than everybody, but they're really not. They're they act like they're gods, but they're also just like these flawed beings. And so yeah. like Loki's like out of line clearly. And he like was out of line for killing Balder, but he had a reason to hate the Aesir, if that makes sense. He also is maybe just trying to provoke them, right? If we go back to the Havamal, don't let somebody use their mouth to talk you into a fight, right? And uh, Loki does this successfully to everybody here, it appears, right? And then it, it brings in all these stories we've looked at before, right? It ties them all together. It also has all these neat features of stories that we actually don't know. There's all these little hints to stories that have probably been just lost to the ages and we'll never know. But that to yeah. me says it's a very, you know, it was composed by somebody who really knew some Norse mythology, had quite a collection there. And uh, it's interesting because there's the poem and this prose ending was written by somebody else. That was kind of, it was put there kind of because it ends a little bit abruptly and how to tie it into all the other stories was uh, what you know, the author of the prose part was doing. So another reason why it's fitting, I think, to have a separate episode on it. Yeah, sure. And uh, we'll get back to Gilfogadine, which for some reason, Snorri, as I mentioned, did, like, and I know I, I said this last week, Snorri does mention this story in Scott Scoppermall very briefly, but he does not include it in the lead up to Ragnarok and Gilfogadine. So next week, or the next part of this story, we're going to go into Gilfogadine and discuss Loki's capture and Loki's torture. But before that, we might do an episode uh, on Frey. Yeah, that we brought that we brought up Frey. I think I think he deserves uh, eighty thousand episode. Times, I don't yeah. know where else it fits, but he's really one of the few gods left that you know of the major gods that we haven't quite talked about. And as I've said, he's one of the of the four major archetypes in, in the masculine soul, as uh, Robert Moore says it. The, we've talked about the hero, we've talked about the king, we've talked about the magician, and then now the lover. And there's only so much on Freyr, but I think yeah, got to dive into him a little bit. As we're, and then we're talking about the death of the gods. So that's, I think, fitting. 
give prayer an episode yeah, or two. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dave. Did you have anything else or? No, no, I think that's good. Yep. Thank you everybody for listening and we'll uh, talk to you in the next episode. Yeah, definitely. Have a good night, everybody. Have a good night, David. Thank you for listening to Between Two Ravens. If you've been enjoying our show, please write a five-star review on iTunes to help spread our podcast to a wider audience. See the show notes below for links to follow us on social media. Our podcast is part of the Walled Garden Podcast Network. The Walled Garden Philosophical Society is committed to the pursuit of truth, wisdom, virtue, and the divine, wherever it might be found. Visit thewalledgarden.com to learn more.